Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Caffeinated Bible Chatter. Uh, we're back with uh, another episode, our fifth episode, I think. I think it's our fifth. Um, hope everybody's having a good day today. Thanks for tuning back in. Uh, this is Kyle O'Shields, and I'm here with Dylan Brown. How you doing today? Man, I'm doing good. Um, I think I say that exact same intro every single time, and that's okay, because I am who I am. Yeah. By the grace of God, I think that's what the Apostle Paul says. Um, but I'm, uh, man, I'm, I'm excited to do this. I said, I think I said this last week, but this is going to be my favorite episode. Uh, it, I'm just ready. I'm nervous. I'm a little nervous over the mic. Not bad, not badly, but slightly this time. Um, and the nerves have, have gone away in just our first first few episodes. But uh, as of right now, um, it's just me and you. So yeah. we'll just see what happens. We'll see yeah. where it goes. But Here I'm excited go. about this topic, and I think. I think it really can be applicable, and we'll say more about that in a second. But So I'm ready to make it roll. Yep. Uh, yeah, so if you're just tuning in, last week uh, we hit, uh, will the church be raptured before the tribulation? Uh, and I, I think we we gave a lot of scripture to really nail down the fact that the church will not go through the tribulation. Um, and then we took a look at there being three three different raptures. Right There's the, the first fruits, the main harvest, which is the church. And then the gleanings, the those tribulation saints. Um, so if you missed that one, I would definitely go back and check that one out first. Uh, we're going to go into a little more of the rapture here on this one. So if you haven't heard that that one before this one, definitely go check that out first. So so you can really nail down the fact of, of us being out of here, the church being out of here before, before this tribulation thing kicks off. Um, but today uh, we want to get into to more of the rapture stuff. Um, I think we're titling this, Can You Know the the, times, the, timing. the yep. timing of the Rapture? Yeah, yep. Can You Know the Timing of the Rapture? So uh, so like Dylan said, he maybe he's a little nervous about this one, but but I, I think it'll be good stuff. Um, but well, again, we're, we're, we're going to be going straight to the book, the sword in front of us, right? Uh, we're not giving you any of our opinions and stuff like that. We're... We're going to give scripture. Uh, we're going to study the scripture rightly divide that what we've been hitting on this whole time. Uh, so I guess Dylan, if you want to, yeah. So I think that that that's why I kind of was kidding around about being slightly nervous is because a topic like this, um, sort of how I said with the whole, I said this last week, and actually I guess it'd be a good way to, to ice break it, but it's Revelation chapter one verse three. Okay, because this verse always comes to my mind when I'm when we're looking at anything like this, because and maybe these people don't really exist, but I feel like they do. But it's that the I hear that person um, that takes the approach of you know why why even get in why even look into this kind of stuff why even you know why why'd you teach the uh, this kind of stuff in your youth group or, you know, talking about revelation and stuff like that. Why, why go through those kind of things? Like, isn't, don't we just need to all love Jesus? And I would tell the youth group that I lead when people say that, just know they don't love Jesus. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I'm kidding a little bit. I would say that in jest to them. I would just cut up with them, but, um, I don't think that's necessarily true for everybody. I'm, I'm kidding, but it's easy. This is what I will say. It's easy to look at something to think, boy, that looks really spiritual, or that sounds really spiritual. But this is what I've learned in my short years. I'm, I'm still a young guy. But in my short time, I have learned that what's spiritual or what seems spiritual is not always biblical. 
And at the end of the day, the Spirit of God answers to the Word of God. And so in all of this, I think this subject, okay, obviously talking about the timing of the rapture, not trying to just use buzzwords or anything like that. We're, we started this whole deal on end times, and I think this is so, so important. I think it's, it's so applicable because if, if anything, the goal of all this is to show us that time is extremely short. And if you're like me and, and like you, Big Kai, people, if they have grown up in our similar type of life, uh, you know, grown up in church, Baptist church, you've heard these things your entire life. I can remember being a kid and I can remember hearing, you know, preachers get up in the pulpit and they'd say stuff like, boy, he could come back tonight. And I always had this thought, and it, by the way, even after I was saved, I always had this thought, well, well, gosh, man, I hope it's not tonight. <laughs> and, and you know what? I used to hear everybody else think, or hear everybody else say, man, I, if I could have him come back tonight, it would just be the best thing in the world. And, and, and I can honestly say that that has not been the way I think most of my life. The reason that I, I, I've, I've all often thought, well, I wish he would delay. I wish he would tarry a little bit. Is because, or at least now, the what I think is, I'm like, man, I, I need more time. I need more time to to serve the Lord. I need more time to, you know, go all in on the mission. I need more time to lead souls to Christ. I need more time to disciple people. Whatever it may be, I just because what I do know is this: is after the rapture, my tail is going straight to the judgment seat of Christ. And I would be lying if I said that I'm extremely eager and pumped for that because I'm not. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so like I said, if you're like us, you've heard this. My point in saying that was you've heard this this stuff of, you know, the rapture could you know is, is super close. The rapture is around the corner. It's any day now. You've heard those kind of things so much so probably if you're like me that you've become callous to that. And so much, you're so callous, like I'm talking from, from my perspective now, I've become so calloused at times that now there can actually be current events that literally rock the world. I mean, I don't know if you just remember three years ago, but, but events that rock the entire world. And when somebody says something like, oh, this has some type of spiritual agenda behind it, they think you're crazy. I'm talking Christians. Christians that will say, oh, well, here, here goes the, the conspiracy theorist. He, they, he's crazy. But yet, you've been hearing your whole life, or I've been hearing my whole life, that Jesus could come at any moment, and yet I'm not correlating the two. I'm not, I'm not you know, taking that reality, which is a biblical truth, that it is very close, and, and viewing the world through that lens, because I've become calloused. So... I think in all this, again, where I was going was Revelation 1-3. It says this. It says, Blessed is he that readeth uh, and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. So, according to that verse, the people that, not that we're going to only look in the book of Revelation tonight because we're not. We're looking all over the place. But a lot of this stuff obviously is, is stuff that is in times and we'll find ourselves in Revelation quite a bit. And so, um, at the end of the day, man, blessed is he that'll do those things. Blessed is he that will study these things out. Blessed is he that'll take these things and actually find application in these things, and therefore it challenge and change their life here and now. Because at the end of the day, if our doctrine, just like we talked about a couple weeks ago, that wrong doctrine leads to wrong practice. Okay, well, if our right doctrine 
doesn't lead to some right practice, we're missing something. And so if, we, if I can look at this subject and it not move me to serve Christ and it not move me to press into my Christian life and to surrender uh, further to Jesus Christ, then I'm missing something. And so it really is simply that for me as it challenges me and motivates me to, to get out of my carnal American way of thinking and to think, good night, Dylan. The most important day in your life is coming around the corner. That's the judgment seat of Christ. The most important day for anybody is the day they come to know Christ. But after that, boy, as soon as you've called upon Christ, you better believe it. Whether you, believe, whether you understand it or not, the judgment seat of Christ is your most important day coming up. It really is. So that was a long Big Cowboy, this thing may be two hours. Okay, <laughs> hopefully not. But that that would, so this is the way I would start this. There's so much to say. Now, as I'm sitting here and as me and Big Cow are sitting here saying this, I don't know how, if this will all be covered this week or if it will be covered, you know, some next week. We got a lot of stuff to say. And that can be scary because I just said a lot about nothing five minutes ago. So I would start with this. We're talking about the timing of the rapture, that your first thought, most likely, good chance, is that that's a crazy idea. Because there's a certain verse that everybody always goes to. It's it's a lot of people's life first, I think. We're, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, talking about the day or hour. A lot of people quote that verse. So you're probably thinking, okay, well, Dylan, I already know the answer to that. No, we can't know the timing of the rapture. Okay. Well, timing for sure is a broad word. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll get into that in a second, but I'll say this, I will say this. I think that the book that we have, that me and Kyle are holding our lap, the word of God, I think it's an extremely powerful book. And I think that there's more information in this book than, than even has been, like we have only scratched the surface. You take the smartest biblicists that you may, that you maybe have studied behind. I believe they've just scratched the surface. I believe there's just it's a it's truly like Proverbs two, uh, two talks about. It is it is sil- it's precious silver. It is it is so valuable and there's so much here. So I want to start off with this verse here, Proverbs twenty five two. Proverbs twenty five two and Big Cow, if you want to go to Revelation one six, right. but it says this. Proverbs twenty five two says, "It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter." I'm going to read that one more time. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing. Now notice that. According to this, God is not only interested in, in hiding some things to the, to the obvious eye, but it, but it glorifies him. Okay, But, that's a conjunction, the honor of kings is to search out a matter. So the very thing that God conceals it is an honorable thing for kings to search those matters out. Okay, well, you're, you're, you're sitting there thinking, well, Dylan, that's, that's great, but I'm not a king. Well, according to the New Testament, according to Revelation 1.6, you actually are if you know Jesus Christ. Big Cow, you got that verse? And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so in this, man, we God, God there, my point in all this is as we study out a subject like this, there is no place that we can go. And, 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 and it's not like God has laid out in the book of Revelation. Okay, Revelation 3, verse 1, it says, okay, it says that the rapture is going to be in this timing. No, that's not in the word of God like that. Okay, but according to Proverbs 25, 2, there are some things that God has concealed. Now, 
Where would he conceal those things? Well, he would conceal those things in the very place that he communicates with, with, with his people. How does he communicate to us? He communicates to us through the word of God. And so it's our honor as kings and priests of Jesus Christ, it's our honor to search out those matters so that we may find those things. Okay, that's what the word of God says, not what, of course, me or Kyle have said. Okay, so that brings us to our famous verse we love so much, 2 Timothy 2.15, which says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And Kyle, if you want to go to 1 Corinthians 2, and we'll read a bunch there, verse 7 through 13. But in our, in our, our verse we love so much, 2 Timothy 2, again, what is the command? It's to study. So, in other words, there are some things in the word of God that he, there's some things in the Word of God that he puts on low, he, that, that are low-hanging fruit. Okay, Sal, New Testament salvation, you don't, you don't have to dig really hard to find that. It's a low-hanging fruit. Um, the very fat, the very aspect of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection, you don't have to go deep diving to find that. It's just, just right there. Okay, but according to this, according to, to Proverbs 25, according to the very principle of studying of 2 Timothy 2.15, there are some things that he has, he has put a little bit higher up or he has put a little bit deeper in the soil that takes a little bit of digging. But man, according to Proverbs 25, according to 2 Timothy 2, if we'll study, if we'll take ownership to search out those matters, man, it's an honorable thing. And I believe God reveals things to people as they begin to study out those things in that way, okay? And that's simply what we want to try to do here with you right now is study this thing out, not from, from human reasoning, not from what we've heard all our life or you've heard all your life or what your grandma said. And I love grandmas. I was actually talking about that to Kyle the other day. Like, I've said a couple grandma. I love grandmas. I don't know where that comes from, so I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> if your grandma out there listening, we love you and we need you. <laughs> all right. But we wanted to study this thing out, okay? And so that's our whole goal. So that brings us to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, which Kyle has. And this tells us how we're to study. And we've talked about this before, about this comparing Scripture with Scripture thing. But listen to this, the entire uh, section of verses that Kyle reads, verse 7 through 13, again in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, which lays out the, how we get the wisdom of God. All right, verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Verse 8, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Verse 9, but as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Verse 10, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Verse 11, for what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. And then verse 13, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. And so the reason I go there is what this, the, the verse, this context is talking about the wisdom of God. And once a man is saved, they have access to the wisdom of God. But according to this passage, the wisdom of God only comes from the Spirit of God. Okay, 
Well, the Spirit of God, if we get our wisdom from the Spirit of God, according to verse 10, this is how we get access to the deep things of God. So if you've got a Bible, or, or, or then you, I, would, I would encourage you to open to that. But verse 10 again says, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So the way that we get access to the deep things of God is by the Spirit of God being our teacher. So it's not just human reasoning. It's not us figuring something out because somebody's so smart or whatever. It's the Spirit of God being the teacher. Well, how does the Spirit of God teach us? That's what we need to figure out next. Okay, if he's where we find the deep things of God. Well, the Spirit of God teaches us, according to verse 13, it says, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. That's what we want. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual which is scripture with scripture according to John 6, 63, which says that the words of God are life and spirit. So, man, this is how we do it. This is How do we study? We study by taking words and, and running references, seeing where, where those words are found in other places in the Bible, taking phrases, seeing where those phrases are used in other places in the Bible, and that's how you run cross-references, and that is how you study the Bible, and that's how you get you know, some deeper things or some of the stuff that's not the low-hanging fruit, if you will, okay? And again, God's no respecter of persons. If somebody has the Spirit of God, whether somebody's a pastor or whether somebody knows Jesus Christ and they work a nine-to-five somewhere else, that doesn't matter. God is no respecter of persons. We all have access to the Word of God, and if we have the Spirit of God inside of us, He wants to be our teacher, okay? So, in my last verse, and this has been a long intro, so I'm sorry, but this will be my last verse, showing how we plan to do this. Isaiah 28.10. This is just, I'm just showing you God's method and how he teaches on the deep things. Isaiah 28.10 says, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So in other words, there's just some places, there's just some things that when it comes to studying God's word, if we're trying to get into the, the deep soil, get out in the deep waters, if you will, with a subject like this that a lot of people maybe just think is a waste of time to study. It, my, my whole point in going through all those references we just looked at is to show you that it's not, we don't approach this Bible like a car manual, like an owner's manual, where you can say, okay, I need to learn more about the steering. Okay, let me look at the, the front. Steering is on page four. Okay, and then page four tells you everything about steering. Now, we do have sections in our Bible that specifically talk more about certain subjects, in certain things, in certain contexts. But according to all the verses we just laid out, God does conceal things, where they're just not easily accessible just for just for casually reading. And he and the way that we find those deep things is we, we we've got to jump around the word of God. And you do that again through key words and key phrases and just running references and see where it takes you. So that's what we're gonna do. Okay? That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna see where this bad boy takes us and see if we're crazy. Uh, probably are, and uh, we're going to see how crazy we are, all right? <laughs> yeah. So here we go. So the first thing I'd want you to know, and Kyle, you just like, you just interject wherever, and uh, you cut me off wherever, you know I get wordy, so we'll, we'll, we'll work it out. But the first thing I'd want you to know is that there are biblical commands in the Word of God to watch for this, to watch for the rapture, okay? He gives, he gives biblical commands to the disciples in Matthew 24 and, uh, and I think Matthew 26 to watch for the second coming of Christ. Now that's that's a whole other deal with 
dispensationalism and his offer to Israel and all that. We don't have time to get into. We've probably covered some of that in episodes past. But we, he tells them to watch. Okay? Uh, he, tells the, he tells the church to watch in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. So let me go there real quick. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. I'll tell you, when you need to find it fast, you just, you just never can. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. And it says, Therefore let us not sleep as do others. But let us watch and be sober. Okay, well, what what is he talking about watching to? Well, verse two, verse one and two is talking. Verse one is talking about the times and seasons of the rapture, and, and verse two is talking about the day of the Lord. So that's what he's telling them, telling us to, to watch to, because the Thessalonians were, were a local church, just like we are now currently in the church age. Okay, so I wanted to want you to see that this this is not a. This is not some conspiracy theorist, like crazy out in left field thing. No, this is actually a biblical thing. God wants us to be in- interested in this topic. It's a biblical thing. It's actually a command. Okay. Secondly, and we'll spend some time right here. I wanted, I want to address the opposing view and even studying something like this. I've already kind of said some things, but I want to address the critic, the person that would say that we don't even have any idea of knowing the time of the rapture, the timing of the rapture. Now again, timing, and we'll get further into this. Timing is a is a broad word. I mean, that's a broad that's a broad for a broad term there. Um, but I want to address the critic that would say we're wasting our time with that. Okay, so big cow, if you want to go to Matthew twenty four thirty six, this is where everybody's going to go. And by the way, hey, it's a Bible verse. I, you know, I, I'm not saying that you can't go. You can only go to some. You know, you can go to the verses that support what we're saying. And you can't go to the verses that don't support what we're saying. It's all it's all the word of God. So we're going, we're going to approach it evenly. But Matthew 24, 36, this is where most people are going to go. As soon as you say, as soon as you say, you start bringing up a subject like this, they're going to say, hey, 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 now you know. No man knoweth the day or hour. And I'm actually not even being cynical, I'm being, but I'm, I, just, I just start laughing and smiling randomly. I get Big Cat going, but that's really what they say. So Big Cat, go ahead and read that verse. Uh, Matthew twenty four thirty six. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Okay. So well, what are we going to do with this verse? It certainly says that no man knoweth the day or hour. Okay. Well, what was, let's, let's break this down. The number one rule of Bible study is to establish the context. So what we are talking about in this episode is can we know the timing of the rapture? Now, if you remember last episode, we broke down, and if you haven't listened to that and you a lot of this stuff is very foggy to you, I would encourage you to stop right now and go back and listen to that one. But if you but if you know the difference the differences and you've gone back and listened to that listened to that episode, then you know we laid out that there is a great difference between the rapture and the second coming of Christ. Huge difference. And last week we broke that down and talked about the tribulation in between and and all those things, okay? So I say that to say this. When you look at the context of Matthew 24, and Big Kyle, I'll get you to read a few references in Matthew 24, but I want you to notice what Matthew 24 is talking about. Matthew 24 is not to a church. Matthew 24 is, is actually before Christ has even died. So remember, the church age doesn't start until the death of the testator, which is Jesus Christ. But I want you to see, let's see what, what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 24. 
Big Cow, read verse 21 if you would. 21, Matthew 24. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world, to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Okay, so that's there's the tribulation. So this is not talking about the church, because we've established biblically how the church is not going to be here during the tribulation. And again, see, see last episode for reference for that, if that is something that you don't agree with or haven't listened to. Okay, secondly, Big Cow, read verse 29 of that same chapter. 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Okay, so we have the tribulation going on in verse 21. Great tribulation. No time like it before, no time like it after. No doubt about what he's talking about there. Okay, then he, then we have the ending of the tribulation in verse 29. And then, and then Big Cow, read verse 30 if you would. And then shall... Uh, appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Okay. So, the verse that we read initially, the day, this no man knoweth the day or hour, that is Matthew 24, 36. The references we just read are, are verse 21, verse 29, and then verse 30, which is the second coming. Not the rapture, but the second coming. So what are we going to do with Matthew 24, 36? Well, we're going to place it in its right context. And in its right, its right uh, context, he's saying that no man can know the day or hour of the second advent, of the second coming of Christ. This is not the rapture. And so to, for, for somebody, and again, I'm just, I'm, just, uh, I'm just, just trying to be honest with you. For somebody that would say we can't know the timing of the rapture because we can't know because of this verse, or because we can't know the timing of the rapture because we can't know the timing of the second advent, well, that's that's human reasoning. That's not biblical. That's not what the verse says. The verse says that no man can know the day or hour of the second coming. That's the context of Matthew 24. Okay? So that would that would be that would be my first thing I would want to I would want to lay out for that verse. Okay? The second thing, and we're only spending a lot of time for this verse again because this is, and this, they're not people are not wrong for thinking this. I think the very same thing. As soon as I think about the subject, my mind goes to this verse. But secondly, not only is this a second coming context and not a rapture context, but I want you to notice the very wording of this verse. Okay, the very again, we believe that every word of God is pure. We've said that so much on this podcast so far, but that we believe. You know, in every single word, we don't believe that we just have the, the thoughts of God or the general ideas or the principles. No, we believe we have God's words because in Matthew 4, 4, he tells us that we're to live by them, to live by every word of God. So if he tells us to live by every word of God, but then doesn't give us every word, I think that's a bad deal. That's, a, that's an unfair trade. If I'm going to be judged for that and I don't have it, I'd be a little upset. I'm going to be honest. So I want you to notice every, the very wording of this of this reference that it says that no man knoweth, here it is, the day or hour. Now that's pretty specific. Okay, now again, we said that that's the second coming, that's not the rapture, but let's just pretend to give the, the opposing view every benefit of the doubt. Let's just pretend this was a rapture, which it's not. But let's pretend it was. Would it make some, would it make you uncomfortable? Or does it make me uncomfortable if somebody were to say, Hey, Dylan, I don't think I could pin down the day or the hour, but I think I may be able to pin down the year. Now, 
let me let me just say this before somebody hits pause <laughs> and thinks I'm crazy. I don't know the year. Okay, there, there's a spoiler. If you were waiting for this whole episode for me to tell you a year, not that you think I'm that smart anyway or that Kyle's that smart, but if you were waiting to hear our prediction on the year, I'm not. I don't know a specific year. Okay, I do think there may be a cutoff year. We'll get to that. You guys tune into the end for that. But I, I, I don't know a specific year. Okay. But again, if we're going to take the very words literally, it says day or hour. Okay. So that's something to consider. But again, nonetheless, it's still a second coming context. Okay. And then thirdly, I want to do this. Kyle, if you want to keep Matthew 24, 36 in your hand, and I'm going to go to, or uh, I'm going to go to Revelation 3. So how do we interpret scripture? How do we study scripture? By, by comparing scripture with scripture. So that so everybody loves Matthew 24, 36. Nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. It's, it's, it is scripture as they come. Okay, but I want to compare it with Revelation 3, 3. So Kyle, if you want to read Matthew 24, 36 one more time. Yep. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Okay. So according to that, no man, second coming, no man knows the second coming day or hour except for the Father. Okay. Now this is this is before the cross. This is a certain time period. Okay. But I want to I want to read you another reference in Revelation 3 3. And it says this Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, remember I said there's commands to watch. Here's one of them. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Now that's a that's a mighty huge reference right there. Because what it is, there's a command to watch, to hold fast, to repent. There's this command to be essentially be sober-minded and to watch, to make sure our life is in the place it needs to be as we're watching, okay, for the Lord. But he, he, he gives this contingency on how we do or what we do with that command. And the contingency is that if we don't watch, he'll come on us as a thief and we won't know what hour he will come upon us. So you already know where I'm going with that. But the very reverse logic, if he's going to give us a command, we have the free will, uh, obviously, to not obey that and we won't know what hour will come, he'll come upon us. But the reverse side of that is that if if we will do this, if we will watch, if we will repent and hold fast if need be, what's the flip side of that? That we can know what hour he will come upon us. Now, I'm not reading anything into that verse. Again, you look up this verse for yourself. I don't know what it would say in another version, but in, in a King James Version, look up Revelation 3.3 and read it for yourself. And it's clearly laid out there. So, that brings us to this. Because Matthew, we, we seemingly have uh, what seems like a contradiction. Matthew 24, 36 says that no man knoweth the day or hour. And then Revelation 3, 3 says uh, that if someone doesn't do these things, they won't know the day or hour. Or they won't know the hour. I'm sorry, it uses the hour specifically there. So what is so, so what are we going to do with this contradiction? Well, I, I think it brings us down two roads. Because we don't believe there are any contradictions, by the way. We believe our Bible is perfect. For one, if when you, when you lay all this out, either the first option is that at the time, according to Matt, back, back looking back at Matthew twenty four, that at the time of Jesus's earthly ministry, 
Back then, it was impossible to know. Why would that be? Well, because the Jews' invitation was still pending. So again, this is back to that dispensationalism stuff. We don't have time to run these rabbits, these rabbit trails. But remember, Jesus' earthly ministry was, was about the Jews. It was about the nation of Israel. It wasn't about the Gentiles. Okay? And he offers them this, this uh, you know, to be their Messiah. And then he, he even offers that invitation all the way through Acts chapter 7. And we've already covered that. Okay? But the, the, the stoning of Stephen was the final straw. And he moved, started moving into the, the Gentiles after that. Okay, but it, it, in other words, if this Revelation 3.3 passage is about, the, is about the second coming, then the only thing that we can do when interpreting this with Matthew 24 is to say that in Matthew 24, they did not, they were, they were not able to know the day or hour because, of the, because man's free will was still on the table. Because see, that's what's, that's what's crazy, and that's what Calvinists can't understand, is that God is so sovereign, yet he still sovereignly works through the very fact that man has free will. Now again, that's a crazy deal, but it's just, it's just the way it is. So that's our first option, is that in Matthew 24, at that time, it was not possible to know the day, of the, the day or hour of the second advent. But now that things have played out with Israel, and we're in this parenthetical time frame of the church age, now it is possible to know, okay? Or, and this is the second one's where I lean, I don't believe any man knows the day or hour of the second coming. But where I lean is that this reference in Revelation 3.3 is talking specifically about the rapture. You got one way or the other. It's either talking about the second coming or it's either talking about the rapture. If it's about the second coming then that deal in Matthew 24 is done away with because of how the things with the nation of Israel have played out. But again, if, if we're going to say that that was through and through, all the way through, that no man will ever know the day or hour of the second coming, well, then Revelation 3.3 3 has to be talking about the rapture. Okay, so why do I believe it's talking about the rapture? Well, if you look at verse 4, Big Cow, you got Revelation, uh, th- uh, go to Revelation 3, verse 4, if you would. You read it now? Yeah, go ahead. Revelation 3, 4. Thou hast a few names even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Okay. So, why does this make me think that verse 3 is talking about the rapture? Well, the first three chapters of Revelation are talking to churches. Now, I will say this. These references, Revelation 1 through 3, it has a... It has a church age application, but it also has a tribulational application. Okay, I don't have time to get into that, but it does. But in this, when you study out the, the, the very fact that this same audience he's talking to in verse 3, he's telling them to watch, and so, you know, if, if, they, if, they, if they don't, they won't know what hour he's coming upon them. He also tells them that th- these people, they have garments and if, in verse 4. And if you study out this word garments, and we'll hit a few, uh, hit a few references. Uh, Big Cal, if you want to go to Revelation 3.18, I'm going to go to Revelation 4.4. 4. But these garments, which by the way are white, they're white garments, and we've talked a little bit about this. These garments are white according to the verse. These garments are the very garments that church age saints will be wearing at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So if you remember, we talked about this a couple episodes ago, that how we live now after coming to Christ, what our works, what we do with Jesus, what we do with the gospel, all that, 
that determines how we do at the judgment seat. And then how we do at the judgment seat determines our garments at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And everybody will be able to see. And all that rolls into how, how we'll rule and reign with Christ in, in the millennium. Okay, so it's all connected. But these, these cats here that he's telling us to, they have garments. So uh, Revelation 3.18 that Kyle has, this is talking to the church of Laodicea, which is also talking about garments. And by the way, Laodicea is where you and I live right now, the time frame, the end of the church age. Go ahead and read that, big cow. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. Okay, so according to this, these garments, they have nothing to do again with our, our salvation. These are works after salvation. Okay, so if some, everybody gets saved, we all get saved in church age by grace through faith and the finished work of Christ. But what we do after that, man, not everybody will be, be on an even pedestal in eternity. That's, if that's something that you've always believed, that's just, that's just not Bible. Okay, and what we do with our Christian life after that determines how all that shakes out. Okay, nobody loses their salvation or anything like that, but these garments are affected based on our works. Okay, that brings us to Revelation 4.4. 4. Now, these are talking about the 20 and 4 elders, and this is a kind of a, uh, not controversial, but people have a hard time defining these. And, I, and what I would say, though, is that these are, these are church-age saints based on the white raiment that they're wearing. So listen to this. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. And they and notice what rain, what right, what, what uh, white raiment and these garments are always connected to. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. So people that do really well at the judgment seat, they do really well with this whole garment and raiment situation. Okay, and so. All this, man, so again, back to, back to the fact, why, go, why did I go through that? I'm just trying to show you why I believe Revelation 3.3 is talking about the rapture because I believe he's addressing church-age saints. Okay? He doesn't, he's not going, there's no, there's no business in him talking about the rapture to tribulation saints. Why is that? Because that, the pre-trib rapture has already happened. Okay? He would then be talking about the second advent, although we, we talked about it last week. They have their own rapture. Okay, for the tribulational saints. But nonetheless, that happens right before the second advent, and he's talking about coming to somebody. Well, what does he do in the pre-trib rapture? Well, he comes and appears in the clouds so that we can meet him in the air, is what First Thessalonians talks about. So, my whole point in this, and this again, it's going to be a lot, a lot of verses, a lot of studying, and this is why we may have to break it down into several weeks. There's just a lot here, a lot, a lot, of, a lot to, to cover. But, I want you to remember that verse, that Revelation 3, 3 verse, went and compared that with that Matthew 24, 36 verse, okay? Because again, where do I stand? I believe no man knows the day or hour of the second coming. But I believe according to Revelation 3, 3, someone can know the hour of the rapture. No, again, do I know it? No. No, I don't. I'm, I'm way too dumb for that. But I believe it's, I believe it's possible that, that somebody could, okay? All right. So... That was, that was a lot, but let's, let's get into this. Let's lay out, Big Cal, you want to lay out the general timeline deal of creation? You want to do that? Yeah. Um, so if you want to go to Second Peter 3, I'm going to go to Genesis 1. So, so that, the, the first half of this episode, or a little over half of it, was to lay out exactly 
just just the point that this is not a stupid study. This is not pointless. There's something to this that you know we're not some crazy just date setters like you know 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988 or whatever you know people's mind goes to that kind of stuff. Okay, but there actually is a legitimate there's a legitimate question here on can we know the timing? Okay, I've, I hope that I've given and that we've laid out a legitimate. Um, that's legitimate to ask that. Okay, so the general timeline that we can that we can trace gives us a general timing for the rapture. Okay, now again, I said general, not the day or hour, but a general timing of the rapture. So, Big Cat, go ahead and read Second Peter three. Give me start at verse one. I'll go. I'll uh, go do. Just go ahead and do. Just do uh, verse eight. Eight. All right. Second Peter three eight. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Verse 11. That's good there. Or, right. Yeah, so, okay, and again, day of the Lord, verse 10 there, day of the Lord, what's that? That's the second coming of Christ. Day of Christ is the rapture. Keep that in the back of your mind too. Okay, so that key verse there, verse 8 said that, he said, hey man, be not ignorant of this one thing. Like, if there's one thing that I don't want you to miss, it's this, and that is that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Why is that important? Okay, well, because what we believe is that the very creation account in Genesis chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, that it lays out all of human history. So we believe. Why do we believe that? Well, because one day represents a thousand years with God. And what do we have in creation? There are seven days. Okay, now we're not just throwing something up there like, ah, let's just try that out. Well, there's reasons for that. They, the, the seven days correlate with human history. Okay, this is why I say that. Okay, we believe that Christ would have come. So essentially, what we're saying right now is that we believe the earth is around 6,000 years old, and we do. That's what we believe. Okay, um, but so we believe this that Christ came, we know this that Christ came 2,000 years ago. So that would be around the 4,000th year. Okay, well, now if you equate that year with as a day and a day as a thousand years thing of Second Peter three eight, and you cross reference that to the creation account in Genesis one, there's some interesting things we find. What we find is that the sun, the S U N, okay, the the very sun that we look at, the 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 light, the greater light, that was created on the fourth day. Okay, what would that represent on on the timeline? Well, that would be around the four thousandth year. Okay, note, so Genesis 1.16, and God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser uh, light to rule the night. He made the stars also, okay? Well, so maybe, so what we believe is that that represents the 4,000th year when Jesus came to this earth. Well, you're thinking, well, Dylan, you're comparing the S-U-N with the S-O-N. Well, we are, but the Bible also does that. Malachi 4 verse 2 says, but unto you that fear my name, this is where you'd have to follow along and, and look at it in the, in the King James Bible. But it says, but unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness. Now you're probably thinking that says S-O-N, but if you're just listening, 
But our King James Bible says capital S-U-N. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. Press a person. It's Jesus. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. Okay? So, so the Bible is comparing the S-O-N with the S-U-N. Okay? Which would make sense according to the fact that Genesis 1.16, that's the fourth day when the S-U-N was created. And it was the fourth day in God's economy, the 4,000th year, when the S-O-N came to, came to uh, this earth. So they correlate. Okay? Another, and we could do this with more than just these two, but these are the two big ones. Another one is the seventh day. It's very interesting that God, and, and Big Cow, if you want to go to uh, Acts 3.19. But it's very interesting that God, who is all-powerful, had to rest. We know that he didn't need rest. We know that he was fine. I mean, what was God doing there on the seventh day? He was resting to give us a principle, not only that we need rest, but he was trying to put the Sabbath in, in place. Okay. Now, with him putting the Sabbath in place, certainly that had some context to the Jews and, and how he ran the nation of Israel and all of those things. Um, but when you go and study out the word rest in your Bible, what you'll find is it is connected with the millennial reign of Christ. So, okay, so we believe that the earth right now is 6,000 years, 6,000 years old. Okay, if the rapture were to happen, and then we have this short period of time of the tribulation, and the second coming happens, all that happens within seven years or so and some change. Okay, at that point, the millennial reign starts, which is 1,000 years, which would represent the full 7,000 years of human history before he wipes the world out and makes a new heaven, a new earth, and new Jerusalem. Okay? So, we see this in Genesis 2, verse 1, uh, verse 1 and 2. Uh, verse 2 and 3, actually. It says, And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made, and God blessed the seventh day. It's interesting he does that. Well, he does that because this is, this is all about the theme of the Bible right here. It's about his day, the day that's all about him the millennial reign, where he's sitting and ruling and reigning in his kingdom. But in God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because, that in it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which he had created and made. So Kyle's got Acts 3.19. This is just one reference that talks about this time being restful. It actually uses the word refreshing, but it's specifically talking about this millennial reign. Acts 3.19, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Okay, so when does the presence of the Lord happen physically? Well, it happens when he comes back and he sets up his kingdom. And that time is called the times of refreshing. Okay? So, we believe this whole thing is laid out very, very clearly, okay? And that, again, if, there, if, if that is indeed the fact, based on this model in 2 Peter 3.8, if that's indeed the fact, then that means there's 7,000 years of, of human history. And if a 1,000 of those years are wrapped up in his millennial reign, and by the way, if there were 4,000 years to the time that Christ came, and he lived 33 and a half years, and then we've lived, you know, we're in the year 2023, you can see that we're pretty much at the threshold here. If there's, if there's, if there's been 2,000 in 23, uh, it's 2023. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, it, if this is 2023, and then before Christ, it was 4,000 years. Do you do the math? That's just, just a hair over 6,000 years. 
And again, if Christ's kingdom is going to be for a thousand years, you can see that, man, if that's the case in this whole creation model, according to 2 Peter 3, then, man, we are literally, we're, we're in borrowed time. Literally. Sure. We, are over, we are just over that perfect threshold of years. And so it shows us that, man, certainly that time is short, okay? I want to show this, too. Uh, Big Cow, if you want to go to Hosea 6, verse 2. So you say, okay, well, Dylan, well, but how does that, how do we know for sure that in all of that, that those years are right and that the church age is only 2,000 years? Well, we have a little reference in Hosea 6, 2 that, that tells us, that kind of gives us some insight on this. Hosea 6, 2, after two days will he revive us. In the third day, he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. So it's, it's funny. The Lord Jesus, he's all about some resurrections in the, in the third day. He, he resurrected the third day. He will resurrect his church. Remember, the rapture is a resurrection. He will resurrect his church on the third day. And again, the, those days represent a thousand years, according to Second Peter 3. So on the third day, after those that, that the church age of 2,000 years, boom, you have this thing where he is calling us up to himself, which we know, of course, is the rapture. Okay, so that's, that's a general overview. That's a general overview to show you uh, that we know that, you know, this, that's kind of some broad handlebars uh, on all of this. But then also, we want to talk about this. So, so maybe, we, okay, maybe we don't know the, the day or hour. Now, again, I believe that Matthew 24 thing is about the second coming. But maybe in all of this, maybe in the rapture, maybe we say, okay, we can know the times and the seasons. What would you think about that? Okay, well, Big Cal, if you want to go to Acts 1-7, and then I'm going to go to 1 Thessalonians 5. We, ha- we have Kyle has a reference here where at one time it was impossible to know the times and seasons. Now, why is this? Well, because, again, back to the, what we said earlier, the nation of Israel still had opportunities to repent and receive Christ as Messiah. So it was still contingent on the free will of man. So notice what, what Big Kyle has here. Acts 1.7, he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Okay, so you sit there and go, okay, see, Dylan? Yeah, you don't need to be known about the times and seasons. You can't know them. It's, uh, it's a waste of time. Well, the interesting thing is you go, that was, again, bef- that was before the, the last offer to the nation of Israel and before the transitional nature of the book of Acts. Okay, and now that we are fully in the church age, notice what, he t- what, he, what uh, Paul tells the church in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, but of the times and, uh, but of the times and the seasons, brethren... Ye have no need that I write unto you. You know why? You know why they have no need that he writes unto them? Well, because they know the times and seasons. Verse two, he's talking about the day of the Lord. He says, "For you, for you, uh, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, which is the second coming, not the rapture, so cometh as a thief in the night." But then notice what he says in verse four: "But ye, but ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief." So according to 1 Thessalonians 5.1, in, in contrast to what was going on back in the beginning, beginning of the book of Acts, the church of the Thessalonians actually knew the times and seasons. They understood they could, that they could know the times and the seasons, which would make sense with the whole deal a little bit more of Revelation 3.3 that he says, hey, if you don't watch, you may not know the hour that he, that he comes upon us. Okay, and so that brings us to, this is where we're going to start getting weird. You're thinking, boy, that was that's that's scary because it's already been weird. Uh, Big Cal, if you want to go to Song of Solomon, 
chapter two, verse ten through thirteen. And if you're listening, if you're you know still with us right now, you're thinking, boy, they're busting out some Song of Solomon references. That's uh, that's unique. But we are now. Let me let me let me set the the context of Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon is about Solomon and his Gentile bride. We believe this pictures. This is a because we believe there's three layers of application: the historical application, the doctrinal, and the devotional. We believe that devotionally this applies to, this is a picture of Christ and his Gentile bride. The whole book of Song of Solomon, the whole book of the Song of Solomon. Okay, Christ, right? He is called the son of David. Solomon is called and is the son of David. Okay, Solomon was married to a Gentile bride. What are we? We are Christ's Gentile bride. We are his, we are, we, according to Ephesians chapter five, we are his bride. We're the bride of Christ. Okay? And so there's some interesting things here that we can pull from in Song of Solomon chapter two. So just uh, check out this reference here. Uh, starting in verse eight of Song of Solomon chapter two. The voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. Verse 10, My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of birds has come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. In verse 13, the fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Okay, so according to this, the son of David is calling up, is telling his Gentile bride to rise up. And when does this happen? It's, it's, it's happening according to this. It's happening. And we're talking about times and seasons. And I want you to take those two words literally. It's hap- According to Song of Solomon 2, he is caught telling his Gentile bride to rise up after the winter has passed. Things are blooming. Things, are, things in nature are moving. And what we know that is, that's spring. That's springtime. Okay, so what are you saying, Dylan? Well... We don't claim to know the day or hour, and we don't claim to know much else. I'm going to be honest. We don't claim to know a lot of things. But what we do believe is, by comparing Scripture with Scripture, is that we believe that the rapture of the church will happen in the springtime. Now, that that that's just... I don't even know. I don't know, I don't know how anybody's receiving that. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, actually, I actually have written here in my Bible for this is... For lo, you already said springtime, but for lo, the winter is past. Right. Well, uh, the last day, last month, the winter's March, yep. right? Then it says the rain is over. Well, they say April That's showers, right. absolutely. Uh, where's it? and gone? Uh, verse twelve: the flowers appear on the earth. Uh, May flowers yep. brings May flowers, right? Absolutely. April showers brings May flowers. Uh, so all this means, what I mean, we're getting into end of May, yep. early June, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So we, what we're saying is. Now, for our position, the good news is, because we get a little nervous about the judgment seat of Christ, like I said at the beginning of the episode, is uh, we're past late May and early June. Okay, now, now look, I get it. One of the biggest problems people are going to have with this is the whole thing of the imminency of Christ, of the return of Christ. The imminent return, that he could come whenever, where, you know, at any time. Okay, now, like I said, I think you ought to live your life in that preparation. 
I, I do. I think you ought to treat every day as though he could come today. But what I believe we can see from, from comparing Scripture with Scripture is there's just so many references, and this just being one of them, that, that show us this whole thing of these, these picture forms of this rapture taking place at the, at the end of spring. I don't know. I, I was trying to even big cow right there. I was trying to find a way to sugarcoat it more. I just don't know how to. I, yeah. It is what it is. I'm sorry. Yeah. I just, I'm just sorry. If, if, if you think that's crazy, I'm sorry. But again, I want you to notice that we didn't, that's not a day or hour. That's a season. Yeah. And we haven't even said, we, again, we just said a, a, a general season and that who knows what year that is. Okay. All right. So again, I want to ask you the question. If we're gonna you go back. You, you, maybe you're hanging your hat still on the whole day or hour thing of Matthew 24. Even though I believe we've laid out that's not talking about the rapture. That's talking about the second coming. But let's just say you're still hanging your hat on that, even for the rapture. Okay. Well, again, I want to ask the question. Would again, not that we know, but would it make you feel weird if somebody claimed to know the year and the season? Because again, I think we we are pretty dogmatic about the about the season thing, just not so much the year. Okay, but that does lead us into this. So I said this earlier. We don't. We're not that smart. We don't know uh, the year. I think it could be next year. I really, I really do. I don't know if if you've looked around lately. With we're a few years past COVID, uh, the governments of this world are, are are a mess. Man, there are, are quote unquote UFO sightings that used to be called crazy back in the day and now they're mainstream media. Now we don't have time to deep dive into all that. I think that's demonic stuff. Nonetheless, we're in a crazy day. I really believe it could be next year. And if you're an intimate if you're an imminency guy, then maybe you're saying, I think it still could be this year. Okay. Praise the Lord. Maybe it can. But I want to at least I want to at least give what I believe and what I believe me and Kyle both believe is a possible cutoff point for the rapture. Kyle's saying, don't want me into that. I, well, at least <laughs> I, well, at least what I believe and what I have talked to Kyle about uh, months back, a possible cutoff point for the rapture. That brings us back to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Again, verse 36 is the famous verse, no man knoweth the day or hour. Again, context, second coming of Christ. But we can, we can, in the context of looking at the second coming of Christ, he gives us some time frames on the second coming of Christ. And all we have to do is do some simple tribulation year subtracting from the second coming to get to where the cutoff points would be for the rapture. I hope you're tracking with that. Again, we believe the tribulation is seven years. So if the, if the cutoff point for the second advent would be, let's just say 2050, 2050 minus seven, you get it? That's 2043. Okay, so that's what we're doing here. All right. So, Matthew 24. What does that bring us to? Uh, Big Kai, if you want to read verse 32 through verse 34. Yep. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. Verse 33. So likewise, ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Okay, so we got a few things we need to break down here. First of all, this parable that, okay, this parable that's going on here is describing a fig tree. Well, what does the fig tree represent? Well, the fig tree in our Bible is a picture of Israel. 
Okay, I, we're running short on time, but you, I'm going to give you references if you want to look them up on your own. Hosea 9.10, Jeremiah 8.13, and there's several others. It compares Israel to the fig tree. Okay, so what it's saying here is that this fig tree, that Israel in this, this picture he's given us, that at this time, Israel is starting to bloom. Now, when did Israel start to bloom? Okay, we think back again. In the 1800s, Israel wasn't even a nation, quote-unquote, anymore. But when did they become a nation again? Well, they became a nation in 1948. If nothing else, that's for sure some blooming. They were scattered across the globe and became an actual nation again. That's never happened like that in, in world history before. Not, 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 not exactly the way it did with Israel. Okay, so again, our reference point is 1948 for that. Okay, this fig tree is starting to bloom. All right. Now notice he says in verse 34, when this blooming starts to happen, that when that happens, that this generation shall not pass till all these things shall be fulfilled. Now there are some people that believe that Jesus was talking to the that Jesus was talking to the generation that was on earth at that time, the disciples. Well, we know that wasn't the case because the disciples died. Okay, so what he's referencing there is very clear. It's not, it's not complicated. But what he is referencing there is the generation that saw Israel begin to bud. So again, when did Israel begin to bud? 1948. So this generation, that generation that saw Israel begin to bud. Okay, notice what it says. This generation shall not pass till all these things shall be fulfilled. What are all these things? The things we see in Matthew 24, which, by the way, is talking about the second coming of Christ. So if we've broken this down right, and by the way, I believe passionately, without a doubt, that we have in this Matthew 24 deal. According to this, the generation that saw Israel begin to bud again, 1948, that same generation will see the second coming of Christ. Because that's what he's talking about in Matthew 24 is the second coming, the tribulation and the second coming. That same generation that saw Israel do that will see the second coming of Christ. Okay, so now what do we well now we gotta figure out what's the generation, Dylan? A generation could be anything. Generation could be fifty years, generation could be two hundred years, you know, whatever. But we'll, we'll, what do we always do? We're gonna let the Bible define what a generation is. So that brings us to, to specifically three references. Uh, and Big Cal, if you want to go to Matthew 117. Yeah. And I'm going to go to Psalm 90. You go ahead and read it. Uh, Matthew 1.17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. So 14 times 3, that's that's 42 years yep. through, the, through those through that verse there. So we've got this this definition of generations being 40 being 42 years. Okay. Well, so could that be the generation? Well, some simple math. 1948 plus 42. 1990. That'd be 1990, <laughs> which again, that's the second coming, not the rapture. Which would mean if you subtract seven years from 1990, it would have been 1983. And oh boy, if we're still here, what in the world's going on? <laughs> right? Okay, so it can't be that. It can't be 40 years. Okay. Well, that brings us to another reference, which is Psalm 90, verse uh, verse 10 which says, 
The days of our years are three score years and ten. That's 70 years. And if by reason of strength they be four score years, yet is their strength uh, labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Okay, so according to that reference, which by the way, that's how we would describe a generation nowadays, I think. You know, the average life expectancy anyway is 70 to 80 years. So that's what he's saying there. Okay, well, it can't be 70 years. Because again, I'm going to have to pull my calculator here for this, this episode. 2018. That'd have been, that, that means the second coming would have been 2018. Second coming, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which so. again would have been, made the rapture at 2011, which by the way, I can remember as a kid, some people thinking <laughs> it was going to be 2011 and I see what they, where they were going with that. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But that would have had the second advent at 2018 and the rapture at Again, not 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 as specific years, but as cutoff points. Like it could have happened five years before that, but that was again the final cutoff. Okay, don't forget, don't lose track of that. Okay, but let's just say it's eighty years on the high end of that generational layout. Well, nineteen forty-eight plus eighty is two thousand twenty-eight, which again, if the tribulation seven years, which we we believe it is, would have made the rapture at twenty twenty-one. Which again, again, cutoff point. Not not for sure the rapture, but the cutoff point for the rapture. Could have happened years before that, but that's the cutoff. 2021. Well, okay, so we know it's not that. Okay, well, that brings us to, to, to Genesis 15. Because at the end of the day, what we're saying here, and I'll let you read this reference, Kyle. Genesis 15, verse 13. Because what we're saying here is we're, we got to find, okay, what is the longest, if we're talking about cutoff points, what is the longest definition of a generation in the Bible? Well, this is where you come to the longest example. The longest I can find for a generation is Genesis chapter 15. So yeah. go ahead and read verse 13 through 16, big guy. Genesis 15, 13. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. Uh, oh, i got to read down to 16. Yeah, yeah. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Okay, so he's saying that there, the captivity would last for 400 years. And then in verse 13. And then in verse 16, a few verses down, he says that the captivity ends after the fourth generation. So it's a simple math. If, there, if it's 400 years and he's equating that to four generations, then that is, he's equating a generation to 100 years. Yeah. Again, that's the longest generation. 100 years is the longest generation that I, if you can find a longer one, clearly laid out in scripture, send us an email. Okay, we'd love, we'd love for you to do that. All right. Send us an email, or if you know us personally, then holler at us in public. People ought to do that too. All right, so let's do some math. 1948. We're talking about cutoff points. We're not talking about specific years. We're talking about cutoff points. 1948 plus 100. I don't know why I'm getting my calculator out for that. That's 2048. Again, that's the second coming. That's a cutoff point for the second coming. If we're going to take this Matthew 24 thing for real, you subtract seven years for a tribulation, that brings you to 2041. So, do I think I know the year? No. I believe I think it's going to be in the late spring. I won't be honest enough to say I believe that. But I don't know the year. Big Kai doesn't know the year. If he, if he knows it, he's been holding out on me. I'll be honest. He's been holding out. 
We may have to bust that out next episode. But in all of this, this is this is honestly, this is honestly my desire. Like I started off with. Let's just say we those things we just laid out are accurate. And I, I honestly, I mean, I wouldn't say them if I didn't think they were. I, I believe that we've clearly laid those things out in Matthew 24. As, as far as a cutoff point, we've clearly defined the longest possible generation that you can find in the Bible. Because the Bible is a self-interpreting book. Let's just say the cutoff point of the second coming is 2048. And let's just say the cutoff, that means the cutoff point of the rapture is 2041. Again, the cutoff point. Well, that means, man, at most... If that's true, at the most, we've got another 18 years. Now, I'll be honest with you, I think it's going to be way sooner than that. I really do. But let's just say we got 18 years. I'm 28 years old. That means I'm not even going to reach 50. Which is a crazy thing. And that's a crazy thing to say with people listening to you. Because, again, people already probably think we're nuts. But that means I'm not going to make it to 50 if if all that stuff is right. So my point in all that is, man, why in the world would we settle our lives for the here and now? If you're my age, if you're if you're if you're not my age, if you're 50, there's still a good chance you're gonna see the rapture. There's a good chance of it. So, man, why in the world, again, would I prioritize my life? Why in the world would you prioritize your life, if that's right, for the things here and now when we've only got that much time? I tell my wife all the time, we, we talk about these things, and it's a very a motivating thing for me again, but I tell her all the time, this is a unique time to live. It's a unique time to be younger, to not be, you know, 28 years old. It's a unique time to be that age. It's a unique time to be alive, period. Because we, we, are, we are like no other generation before. We can actually say that we truly, based on these things, we truly are at the end. And that should completely change our scope on life. That should completely change the way we make our decisions. I'm not saying we should empty our bank accounts, anything crazy like that. But it really should change the way we make our decisions. It really should change the way we approach eternity. Because again, this, the judgment seat of Christ is the most important day that we have coming for us, if, we, if you know Jesus Christ. And, and if you're listening to this somehow and you don't know Jesus Christ, man, time is short. If, you, if you've heard the truth, you were exposed to the truth of the gospel, and you're hearing some of it right now, then man, at the moment of the rapture, if you have not responded in faith to the gospel, you will, you will be damned. You will be deceived in the tribulation. And so, man, crazy episode. Crazy stuff, big guy. I don't even I don't know what anybody will think about it, but truly, I think it's it's so applicable. I think there's nothing more applicable than this subject. Because it shows us, man, I don't I don't have eighty years to to fool around with making money and, and to invest my life in the things of this world. I don't we're not privileged, okay? And I get it. Somebody can say, well, nobody knows how many days they have left because you know, we could all die. Okay, that's true. But let's be honest. We all approach our lives like we think we got forever. At least I do. But when you put this thing in perspective, man, we realize, man, we don't. It's close. It's very close. So we ought to live like it. Yeah. 
Yeah, if anything, if if anybody's still listening, uh, <laughs> right. no. yeah, I know, really. <laughs> but uh, no, if anything, all all that, uh, whether you believe what was being read or not, it it should motivate us that, that we're in we're we're on short time, right? So that should motivate us that that now's the time to to take this relationship with Christ serious, right? That, that judgment seat's coming. Those those crowns, those garments, that's a real thing. Uh, so now's the time and, and to get out there and and let everybody else know, right? Christ is coming. <laughs> the rapture's coming. And and like we laid out here today, we, we believe it soon. Yeah. Um, Can but, I say one more thing, Kyle? I'm sorry. Kyle's thinking, good night, you said enough. <laughs> so I'm sorry. I, this verse, I meant to say this earlier, and it just came to my mind. Because we're talking about time being short. In this verse right here, how do you make up for lost time? With it, with the time being so short, let's say you haven't lived your life for the for, for eternal purposes. Well, Colossians four or five says, "Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time." Redeeming means to buy back time. In in the context of Colossians four, it's telling us to walk in wisdom toward them that are without. That's that's talking about sharing the gospel with people that don't know the gospel, people that are lost. So the way that you can buy back wasted time as you approach the soon-to-be judgment seat of Christ is by sharing the gospel with lost folks. Sorry, I just wanted to share that out there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that was a good episode. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Um, where I guess we'll we'll continue. I don't know where we go next. Uh, I have no idea. Yeah. We'll let you so. know. <laughs> <laughs> we did the rapture stuff, so maybe maybe we talk about what's after the rapture. Yeah, yeah. judgment seat of Christ. Judgment seat. Tribulation, we'll see. Yeah. We'll, we'll still be on the end times, yeah, end times discussion. But uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in. Uh, hope to see you all back next week. 